Good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2. I find that we live in such a um, divided world today. Um, uh, the pain and the frustrations that are happening uh, are so evident. Um, you can't turn on a TV without hearing the judgment of one another uh, time after time, and we feel this fracture and this anger that seems to be so heavy in our lives. And as we're, we're going through this time, we find this division, this judgment, this fracture, this anger is leading to um, a group of people, groups of people, seeing themselves as oppressed and seeing other people as their oppressors. And it's true that we do live in a world that sin is happening in our lives and we act out versus one another. And as we rebel against our God in heaven, we rebel and hurt one another because that's what sin does. Sin brings about division and it brings about destruction. It brings about distractions in our lives. That's what it does. But what I have found that has been really uh, disconcerting to me is that as we are finding ourselves today, we are finding ourselves putting ourselves in different camps. And we are finding our identity in our nationality. We find our identity in our, our ethnicity. We find our identity in our culture. We find our identity in our lifestyle. And as we are finding our identity in these things, our political affiliations clearly today, as we find our identity in those things, what we find is that we are not brought together. We are separated. And the, the dilemma for me is this, that as a preacher of the word and a, a God who wants to bring people together in unity, something is dramatically wrong when that separation is happening within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, see God has brought us together to be one. See, we celebrate and we worship together as one. We come before the Lord Jesus Christ, before his cross, as one. We stand before him, the Lord and the Savior, as one. We come to a table and we worship together as one. But in our society today, our identities on an earthly level have become more important than our identity in Christ. It's a simple, it's a terrible problem. See, Today, if you're part of what is defined as the privileged group, then you are therefore an oppressor. You are hurting other people. See, more ways than not, the privileged majority is creating dilemmas for humanity. See, this privileged group is now sitting above everybody else, and anybody that is not part of that privileged group is therefore oppressed and underprivileged. 
and see if you have many places where you're not like that privileged group, the more of those things, they call that intersectionality. So more of those things where I am not a person of the privileged group, and then more and more of those things create greater and greater divisions in our lives. And what is happening today is this, that we're living in a world based on the individual and the subjective rather than the corporate and the objective. And see, the Lord Jesus Christ did something for you and for me. He did not do it for a privileged group alone. He did it for all. He did it for people that speak like me and those that don't. He did it for people that look like me and who don't. So that he can drive a people, one race of people, to be his family. In Jeremiah, it says this, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who, who practices love and justice and righteousness in all the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord, See, the dilemma with humanity is this, that if we do not trust in God and his word, we are going to have to trust in ourselves and our own word. And we are living in a world today that has become more and more secular. And in that secularization, what is happening is that humanity is basing their viewpoints on what they think to be true and right. And inevitably, when we go more secular, we are destroying a relationship with God. We are hindering our relationship with God. We are moving away from him. But, but inevitably, because God has created us needing a center, when we do not center on God and his word, we are going to center on ourselves. And when we do not do that, we need a standard. So the standard now becomes relativism. It becomes this viewpoint where my belief And my truth may be different than your truth. And we have myriads of people living with their own beliefs and their own truths, maybe even in the same church. And you cannot speak to one another today if we have differing viewpoints of truth and reality because there is no objective standard any longer. It becomes completely subjective and personalized. And we go from secularism to relativism to sensualism. Sensualism is the idea that your emotions determine reality. So what I feel about you, how you perceive me or how I perceive that you perceive me, now becomes the basis of reality. I could tell you that I don't believe what you're saying, but it doesn't matter because today, sensualism, emotionalism becomes the standard of truth. And it creates a dilemma. Because when we move away from God and his word and we move to our own standard of truth and when we move to our emotions becoming the standard of truth, it leads to emotional instability, leads to problems. And then we live in this pragmatic culture and in this pragmatic culture what happens is this, we believe the ends justify the means and we're looking for the final analysis and we don't think about how we get there. And as we go down this path, what is created is this, humanity's law becomes a first and foremost. And we've lost sola scriptura. The, re- the reformers used to talk about this. The old theologians used to talk about it is 
the word alone that becomes the sole authority for faith and conduct. But when you leave sola scriptura, you have to rely on external sources of authority. And that's what's being adopted by people today. We interpret the world through our own sources of authority. And what some of the sources of authority is saying today is this. The belief is that the greatest evil is systemic. That the greatest evil in this world is institutions and systems, not individuals and not sin. And that creates a major problem because if you are part of this privileged group, you've done wrong because you're part of the system. And if you are wealthy and part of the privileged group, you've done wrong because you've hindered and oppressed everybody. And if you are part of the privileged group and you're wealthy, you've hurt other people. See, it's not that your foreparents, our foreparents, Adam and Eve sinned and now the sin has been transmitted to all of us. It's the foreparents of what your foreparents did against me that is keeping me from being free. And now you need to ask me for forgiveness for what your foreparents did. Well, when when does that end? I have sinned against people in many ways, over and over again. But God does not hold me responsible for the sins of my father. In a... Ecclesi- I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes. Read this today. Ecclesiastes chapter 18, verses 1 through 20. There was a principle that was happening in the nation of Israel, and it says, it says that my father ate sour grapes, and the children's teeth were set on edge. What did that mean? The easiest way for me to explain it is this. I eat candy, and I love candy, and Isaiah gets cavities. So Isaiah is going to go to the dentist and have to have a cavity driven out because I am eating it. And God says, do not let that principle be taught in my church. The individual that sins stands before God and will have to give an account. I'm not held responsible for what my father did. I'm not held responsible for what my great-great-great-grandfather did. I'm held responsible for what I've done. So if the evil is systemic and the oppressor is a privileged group, then it leads to worldliness, it leads to distraction, it leads to destruction, and it does not lead to freedom. It leads to condemnation after condemnation. One person sins against another person and I am constantly being victimized over and over and over again. And I see my identity as this earthly thing rather than seeing my identity in Christ. There's something wrong. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of this world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to himself things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you have, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him and were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I love this passage because Paul is saying, this is who you are. See, we may look differently, but we are one in Christ. We are in Christ. Did you hear it over and over again? Privilege after privilege after privilege came through what? In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. Not in some earthly, political, racial, ethnic, cultural identity. Your identity is in Christ. You know what I find interesting is this. As you read the New Testament letters... It speaks about different cultures, but then it speaks about the cultures and it talks about them as unified. How is it that Paul can write letters to people who were masters and slaves? How could he write to those who were rich and those who were poor? How could he write to those that were part of the Roman group and part of the Gentile group and part of the Jewish group? How could he write to all of these people and say, it is not about those separations on earth. It is about the fact that you are one in Christ. So today, I I want you to consider this. That what Satan wants to do, and he's done it since the beginning, is he wants to distract us from the truth of God. He wants to distort the truth of God. He wants you to believe that God is not good So he wants to counter the character of God. He wants you to believe that the consequences of God, that the authority of God will be altered and it won't. And that's what Satan's been doing from the beginning. He wants you to doubt the word of God, doubt the character of God, and doubt the authority of God. And God from the beginning says, I have brought my people together under me and under my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, Paul tells us about who we are. Once again, he doesn't tell us about these racial differences. What he says is this. And you were what? Dead. In your trespasses and sin. In which you once walked. 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air in the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you once lived in the passion of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body and in the mind. One of the things that is really concerning me today, to be honest with you, is this, that um, when the world and the church are saying the same thing, something is very wrong. When our pastors are writing books and it gets to the New York Times bestseller list and non-Christians are saying they absolutely and totally agree with it, there is something wrong. When we are adopting the language of this world and using the language and defining the language the way the world defines it, there is something wrong. And I know people think that that's a good thing and I've got 20,000 people at my church and a bunch of them are non-believers and they love coming to church. There's something wrong because the, uh, the gospel is supposed to be offensive. The gospel is supposed to attack the central issue. See, the central issue, and I'm not trying to say that there aren't racial issues in this world. There are. I'm not trying to say that there aren't cultural issues in our world. There are. I'm not trying to say that there are differences of opinions on sexuality. There are. But the reality is this. That if we're saying the same thing as the world, the same problem and the same prescription, somebody's wrong. And it's us. The Bible's clear, and it doesn't say ethnicity here. It says all of you were dead in your trespasses and sin. All of you were following the course of this world. All of you were under the prince of the power of this air, Satan. And all of you were sons of disobedience. Verse 3, and we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our mind. And we're by nature, hear this, children of what? Wrath. We have defanged God. One person once said this, that God is a God without wrath, brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment by a Christ without a cross. Listen to that. A God without wrath. Isn't that the God that is, is preached today, is taught today, is believed today, that this God has no anger for you if you're outside of him and doing wrong? It's just not biblical. A God without wrath brought men without sin. See, it's not about individual sins any longer. It's about systemic sins. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment. The world's viewpoint out there today is that as soon as they take their last breath, they are obligated to go to heaven. God is obligated to bring them to him. A God without wrath, men without sin, a kingdom without judgment by a Christ. We'll talk about Christ, but don't talk about a bloody cross. Don't talk about the wrath of God poured out on his son so that you can have a relationship with him. Do not talk about that. Talk about him as a good counselor. Talk about him as a healer. Talk to him about him as your best friend. But do not talk about a savior that needed to die and bear wrath. But that's not what scripture says. Scripture says that we were children of wrath like 
the rest of mankind, all of us. He doesn't say black or white. He doesn't say Jew or Gentile. He says all of mankind. And then the beauty of verse 4 says this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We hadn't done anything good. He made us alive. He regenerated us together with Christ. For by grace, you have been saved. And not only did he save you by his amazing grace, he raised us up with him. See, my identity is not found in my ethnic background. It's not found in my cultural background. My ultimate identity is found in the fact that I am in Christ and I've been raised up with him to a heavenly realm in Christ. And then in the coming ages, verse 7, that he might show his immeasurable, uncountable, I can't even measure the riches of his grace towards his kindness to you in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through what? Faith. And that faith is not human works. It is not about human ingenuity. It's not about human viewpoints of the problem. It's not about human prescriptions for the solution. It is about by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that is not done by yourself. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works. No one will boast. For we are his what? His workmanship. He's doing something in you. He is he's creating you to what? Look like Christ Jesus. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works so that God prepared before him that we should walk in them. See, if you get that, who your real identity is, and if you get where you've come from, you were in Egypt, in bondage. He rescued you from Egypt. He brought you through this wilderness time. He is taking you to eternity. If you could get that in your mind, you are going to praise him over and over again. The separations here on earth are going to go because we want more people in here. We want people that look like us and people that don't because we want the gospel message to go out to the world so that they could see the beauty of Christ. And do you see what Paul says is the following? After you get the gospel right, look at what happens. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, that's non-believers who are not Jewish, and by what is called the circumcision, that is the Jewish, which is made by flesh and hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise. You have no hope without God in this world, but now, here we go again, but now... In Christ, you who were once far off have been what? Brought near. By what? The blood of Christ. And he himself is, is our peace, who's made for us both one, 
the broken down in the flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments, expressing ordinances that he might self himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing all hostility. And he came to preach peace to you who are far off and, and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access through one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being your cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple into the Lord. In him, you have been built together to be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want you to know that um, the scriptures talk about our need for a personal reconciliation with God. The greatest problem is not the racial or ethnic issues that are happening in this world. It's not the greatest problem. The greatest problem in this world are not the financial differences that are happening in this world. The greatest solution is not income equality. The greatest solution in this world is not you paying for what you did to my four parents. The greatest solution or the greatest problem that humanity has is that we will stand before a holy God and we'll have to be judged. David in Psalm 51 said this, after he committed this horrendous sin against Bathsheba, horrendous sin against Uriah, horrendous sin against his nation, he says, against you, Lord, and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. My fear today is that as we, as we elevate the earthly separations, we are failing to help people to see the greatest separation that they have is between them and Christ them and the Father. And when we help people to see that they need a personal reconciliation with God and that is only birthed by the Lord Jesus Christ, then what it will produce, as Paul said here, is a oneness among people. See, if we get the vertical thing right, the horizontal thing will become right. But if we focus on the horizontal, we may miss the vertical. See, if we are in Christ truly, I will love you no matter what you look like. Because you're brother and sister with me. You know, I get the chance to travel. And it's, it's funny, as you get a chance to travel, you go to a new city and you go to a new country. And what do you find? When you find a brother or sister in Christ, there is a unity. There's a unity. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this, I could almost feel like this person is a believer. There's something about this person, then we start to talk, it's like he is a believer, she is a believer. Because the Spirit brings us together. So please don't misunderstand me, we need individual reconciliation, it is important, it's vital. But the greatest reconciliation that we can preach today is vertical. Because if I can help people to see that their greatest problem is their separation from God and their greatest need is God and then you preach the gospel message to them, they will start to live like Christ. And as Christ lived, 
He brought men and women together. He brought nations together. He brought this tax collector over here with this fisherman. He brought all of these people together as one family. I love that. We all have the same dad. We all have the same brother who was willing to die for us. We have all the same spirit that leads us together if you are in Christ. Be not the person that becomes the person that separates in this earth rather than brings together a place of unity. I want you to end with this. Who are you? See, from God's perspective, and I want you to know with assurance that if you are in Christ, you are declared righteous through Jesus Christ based on faith. You're no longer under God's judgment. You're no longer under God's wrath because of Christ. I want you to know from God's perspective and your assurance that you are at peace with God because you have been reconciled to him through Jesus and you stand totally justified before God. I want you to know because of God, from God's perspective and your assurance that you're no longer separated from God as a stranger. You've been adopted into his family. You're a joint heir with Christ. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. You're a king's kid. Remind yourself. From God's perspective and your assurance, I want you to know that you've been given the gift of eternal life and that will never be taken away from you. And God is giving you his continual presence in your life. From God's perspective, I want you to have assurance that you have peace with God because you've been reconciled with him. That the war is over from God's viewpoint. Therefore, you've been justified by faith. You have peace with God. I want you to know from God's perspective and your assurance is because of what God has done for you through Jesus, you can have confidence that he will help you in no matter what circumstance you encounter. I want you to know from God's perspective and your assurance that as a child of God, you're a new creation. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You're free. You're a slave to righteousness. You're a servant of the Lord. And you're called to serve others. From, from God's perspective, and I want you to be assured of this, that God promises that he will enable you to handle any problem that comes into your life. You no longer need it to be defeated by sin. You do not need to be defeated by the problems because God will not permit any difficulty in your life that is greater for you that will overwhelm you. I want you to know from God's perspective and your insurance that God has enabled you to use the trials of your life for his glory and for your good. I want you to know from God's perspective and your assurance, you can have confidence that Jesus Christ will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The world may reject you, The world may attack you. The world may kill you. But Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I want you to know that every problem that you will ever encounter, he is merciful to you, and you can come confidently before his throne of grace, and you can receive mercy and grace to help you 
in your time of need. I want you to know that God has given you amazing resources. The amazing resource of the word of God. Not the word of this world, the word of God. I want you to know that that word of God is sufficient. In our society today, it is teaching us that we need to add to God's word. It's not good enough. We have new wisdom. It's a lie. God's word is sufficient. It's eternal. It doesn't end. It is authoritative. It should be the only rule for faith and conduct. And it is life-giving. And it's life-transforming. What would happen if this body of believers started to live their lives through the sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. If we started to live as coming before one table, as one family, with one spirit, one savior, one Lord, and then we went out into the world and preached that, and lived that, what would happen in our families if that were the case? He's not only giving you his word, he's giving you his spirit. His Holy Spirit lives in you. He's available to teach you God's word. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to intercede for you. He wants to tell you where there's truth and error, but you need to be listening to the word and being led by the spirit. And I want you to remind yourself that instead of relying on earthly wisdom, which is foolishness, or your own ideas, which are inadequate, or your own strength, which will fail you, you must rely on God and his wisdom, his empowerment, his strength, his sufficiency in all times. Jesus, when he left his disciples, he said, behold, I am with you always to the end of this world. There are people that will look down on me because of who I am externally, but I know who I stand with internally. Do you know? Do you know? So, Lord, I pray today that you would remind us of who we are and remind us of whose we are. I pray that nobody would walk out of here with the impression that there is not sinful things and terrible things that are happening in this world. There are. Father, I could sit there and list things that have been done against me because of the color of my skin. But Father, in the final analysis, I stand before you. In the final analysis, I am your kid. In the final analysis, the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years on this earth are nothing in comparison to what I get in eternity. I deserve hell, Father. You've given me heaven. I deserve to be separated from you. You've given me a family. I deserve your judgment, and you've given me your blessing. I deserve bankruptcy, and you've given me inheritance. Lord, I pray that we would see our identity as found in Christ and not in these separate things in this world. Father, keep those separations and those divisions that are in this world from being se- uh, coming into this church. Keep it from hindering the gospel message that needs to be heard by a lost and a dying world. 
Help us never to give people the impression that their problem is earthly. Help us to give them the impression and the knowledge that they have a problem. They need a Savior. So, Father, I pray that you would open blind eyes, open dead hearts, transform people, and then help us to transform. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.